You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA today. We've got a fun show coming up for today. We're going to talk markets, commodity markets, Quasdi update with Garrett Toy of Ag Trader Talk here in just a moment. And then we're going to trade off. Jesse Allen's going to be taking over for segment two. He had a conversation with NAFB President Joe Gill about the future of AM radio. And in segment three, I'll be back. We're going to talk with Bill Vertz from the Netherlands about the collapse of the Dutch government in a large part due to ag policy. He'll fill us in on what's happening on the ground there in Europe. And then Jesse's going to take us back for segment four. We're going to talk with Senator John Hoven, Republican of North Dakota, namely about his livestock disaster assistance bill. Before we get into all of that, however, let's dive in to those numbers released yesterday by the USDA. Of course, it was their July World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates definitely moved the markets upon their relief and release and joining us now to talk about it is Garrett Toy of Ag Trader Talk and Garrett let's dive into this corn market update first we did get a yield adjustment but was it everything the trade was hoping for no it wasn't and it wasn't enough to uh to offset that June acreage uh, surprise that we had, you know, and I think at the end of the day, I, I, I keep trying to remind people that in, in June and July, NAFS uses a weather-based model to determine their yield forecast. And, and so basically uh, what they're looking at, they implemented this in 2013, um, but they're looking at June dryness and, and they're looking at July temperatures. And then we get into farmer surveys in August and then we get into their test plots in, in September, um, but <clears throat> I think the bottom line is it's interesting. We learned from these reports that the fifth driest uh, June for the Corn Belt since 1895 uh, equates to a, a, a four bushel an acre cut in corn yield. Uh, now we'll see it's a start, you know. And I, I've seen some yield cuts as much as 171. Um, you know, at, at the end of the day. Um, you know, I do think that yields would come down. I wasn't necessarily expecting a cut yesterday because it's kind of been their MO that they would leave it, but they, they acknowledge the June dryness. Um, but we'll see how the rest of the season goes. Now we get into July temperatures for pollination, and then we get into, you know, August and September uh, weather as far as green fill periods. So uh, those are the key things we're looking at going forward. As far as the demand changes here, you know, yes, we had a higher feed and residual number, but we kind of expected that exports could fully uh, offset that. And in between uh, some, you know, tweaking between feed and residual and ethanol uh, in, the, in the export cuts, uh, we saw an increase in carryout. So uh, at the end of the day, though, um, you know, I still think it's a weather market. Corn, those, the, the, the 94 million acres of corn are a wet blanket to uh, uh, anything that's going to happen in the corn market near term, barring a change in weather. Uh, I think the most interesting thing is going to be beans. Those, that bean acre number is so small. Um, and it, yesterday's report was kind of a, you know, they don't typically change bean yields in, in, in uh in July, I think that was a bit of a market letdown is that they thought that we were going to see a tighter S&D. When that wasn't uh, uh, realized, then uh, the, you know, we, we sold off. But overnight, we're up 20, 22 cents. You know, we've increased ex or we've cut exports for new crop. I think the, mark, I think the USDA is maybe um, giving themselves some wiggle room for a yield cut next month. So um, just part of the game uh, in the process, if you will, that uh, I always like to explain to producers that, you know, while USDA doesn't know what they're doing, well, they're, they're kind of set by some rules sort of thing that they need to follow. Gotcha. Okay, so we could see more adjustments there on the bean side. As you mentioned, no change to that yield. They're still calling for a 52 bushel per acre yield in soybeans. Uh, Garrett, I want to take it back to the corn market because you mentioned we're still in a weather market here. We saw on Wednesday following that USDA report, December corns dropped below that $5 mark. Even though we're trying to get back to it today, it's not quite there. Is that is that now gone? Is $5 December corn still in the cards in your mind with 94 million acres at even 175 yield? Oh, I, I think absolutely, especially with further uh, further uh, um, yield cuts. I mean, I, I was mentally going into this report yesterday. I was fully 
fully positioned, uh, expecting for no yield change and, and potentially the high print of the year for for corn carryout with uh, subsequent subsequent cuts coming later in the year. Um, and it still very well could be the high print for carryout, um, depending on what acres do. I, I ultimately think that um, bean acres, as we get into FSA reporting and, and acreage reporting, I think bean acres come up a little bit and corn acres come down a little bit. Um, but you know, the fear was is that you know if they hadn't, you know, with the 94 million acres of corn planted and, and hadn't adjusted their left corn yield unchanged, that you know, the, the demand picture out here in corn is not good enough to really withstand that, and we could have really printed a, an ugly number. But, um, you know, I, I think the demand situation in corn is a little bit better. Uh, I just got back from vacation last week, and there's some other, there's some other factors out there, but when I left for vacation, corn was a, a $40, U.S. corn was a $40 a ton premium uh, to Brazil, and I come back and it's within $5. Now, you know, A, you've got the farmer, the, the Brazilian farmer slowing up on their selling because of the, the real strength. Uh, secondly, you've got China down there inquiring for corn. In fact, I see they took another 183 million, or excuse me, 183,000 tons of corn last month out of Brazil. Um, so they're kind of slow, but I mean, the U.S. corn isn't as expensive as it was, and, and perhaps that was reflected in this morning's export sales where we had corn export sales, uh, the best that they've been in, in, in several, several weeks. In fact, I think they were the best uh, best in 13 weeks at 468,000 tons. So maybe we're starting to see some of that reflected. Well, global buyers, no doubt, going to like these little bit lower prices. And following the report, it sure seemed like cattle feeders got excited about this corn number coming. Garrett, we're seeing feeder cattle pull back a little bit today. What, what are your thoughts here on the cattle complex looking ahead? I was really not impressed with price action. I was doing some hedging out on Feb 24 on some stuff yesterday. We we traded, just for example, it looked like a key reversal to me on the deferreds. We traded Febs out to 190 and reversed. Uh, we 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 had a a, a print a, a tick higher than the prior day lows uh, that kind of uh, you know, negated a key reversal here, but you know, it was close enough for horseshoes or hand grenades for me, you know, to be a key reversal. And it seems like the market's kind of confirming that today uh, with this follow through selling. So um, you know we're. The conversation I'm having with cattle producers, you know, we, we're hedging throughout here. You know, are we going to, you know, but we're, as we hedge new crop in these December, February numbers, you know, we're, we're trading, you know, fats that are 12 15 $18, you know, more than what we were the last go-around, you know. So we're, we're just kind of looking around at these musical chairs wondering, you know, when it's going to stop. And, and my most bearish concern was the economic collapse, which we've been able to subside. And these cattle prices just continue to impress, especially some of the feeder, feeder numbers I'm seeing this week. Um, it's just incredible what, you know, I thought 240 uh, five weights in, in May were expensive. Well, now they're, they're three, you know, so it's, it's, it's pretty incredible what they're paying. So uh, it's all drought related. I don't think it's gonna end as quickly as some people do. All right, lots to watch here as this market rolls forward. We were talking with Garrett Toy of Ag Trader Talk there. Garrett, as always, thanks for joining us on AOA. Thanks for having me. And folks, stick around. Jesse Allen's going to have a conversation with NAFB President Joe Gill about the future of AM radio. Leave it right here for more AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA agriculture of america don't go away more aoa coming right up on the first wednesday of every month we sit down with our friends from the national corn growers association for a segment we call the monthly grind we like to look into the uses for that corn crop once it leaves your farm joining us this week for the monthly grind we're gonna be talking with troy schneider of colorado and denny vinacotter corn grower from ohio troy i understand you've got a road trip coming up in the next couple of weeks where are you headed not only myself but about 100 other team members from the seven action teams at national corn growers association will be going to washington dc july 
17th through the 20th for Corn Congress. The 17th and 18th, we have action team meetings. And the 19th, we'll be going to the Hill to visit legislators. And then on the 20th, we will have Corn Congress where we conduct business twice a year. Denny, no doubt you'll be talking about the Consider Corn Challenge. Can you fill us in? So we have 20 entries in it, biomaterial products, different technologies that will use corn in a different way than animal feed. Thank you, Denny and Troy. Folks, learn more at ncga.com and tune in July 18th for the next Monthly Grind. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. And hey, welcome back to AOA. Jesse Allen here for Mike Pearson for this segment as we are going to take some time now and catch up on the fight to keep AM radio in the dashboard. This is something that we've talked about here on the program quite a few times and we want to get uh, an update on the latest news surrounding the fight to keep AM radio in the dashboard. Joining us now for that discussion, he is the president of the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. They're helping to lead that effort to keep am radio on the dashboard and he's also a farm broadcaster at chasm radio in albany minnesota and he might not admit this on the air but he is a good friend of mine as well joe gill is with us here joe it is great to talk to you my friend how are you i'm doing just fine i will admit it any single day but i can't sing like you i can't play an instrument i can't read markets <laughs> like you, so i play second fiddle so Ah, you do not play second fiddle. You're helping in uh, in that area I mentioned about keeping AM radio on the dashboard. That's something that uh, I, I can only talk about. It. You're on the front lines of this issue, and I know we've talked about it before. Like, get, get us up to speed. I know there has been some congressional moves, uh, legislation from Senators Rounds, Markey, Ted Cruz, and others uh, here just recently, a few weeks ago. What's the latest here when it comes to keeping AM radio on the dashboard? I know Senator Amy Klobuchar is also on that here for Minnesota. We spoke to her and she's optimistic that something might get done yet before September, maybe before October in a perfect scenario. But right now, still, uh, the legislation is trying to garner even more support and more signatures uh, from legislators. And basically, it's going to mandate that AM radio, just as maybe a seat belt in your car, AM radio has to stay in future uh 
vehicles uh, that are manufactured. And I know a couple of months ago, we got great news from Ford that they continue to uh, keep AM radio. And since then, no other automaker has has matched uh, what they announced. So uh, the fight is there, and there's many critical reasons why uh, we need to keep AM radio in cars and trucks. Well, and for folks who may not be quite up to speed on the issue as well, I, I should back up a little bit more. There's talk about taking AM radios out of the dashboard, a lot of interference with the new electric vehicles, and and just a lot of automakers not wanting to deal with the extra cost to keep AM radios in those vehicles, et cetera. And, and when you think about it, and we think about just the impact that AM radio has across the country Many of our farmers and ranchers, rural areas, depend on that free over-the-air AM radio signal, don't they, Joe? They really do. And in some of those areas, Jesse, still don't have adequate broadband services to their farm or to their homes. And a lot of places where maybe an online signal can get to, AM radio can get there. And uh, AM radio, I think, has the advantage of such a, a wide coverage area. And I know you mentioned the cost in vehicles, and we all know what the cost of a new vehicle is nowadays. And uh, I know we have some colleagues that are way more intelligent than me when it comes to some of the equipment and technical parts. And they said it's it's pennies on a dollar that we can see some of these changes and upgrades made and still maintain uh, a quality signal when it comes to your favorite AM station. Well, and as well, a lot of this stemming from the electric vehicles, but as you mentioned, Ford backtracking, but a lot of talk about just taking AM radio out of the dash in every vehicle, whether it be conventional fuel, diesel, trucks, et cetera, or and out of the electric vehicles. And if you think about it, your point about lacking broadband in rural America, you know, a lot of folks said the argument was, oh, you can just stream your favorite AM station. But I tell you what, if I'm in the middle of a, a field in a tractor cab, Joe, Chances are I might not have that great of a um, signal out there, a cell phone signal, et cetera, to stream my favorite AM station. And, you know, the, the argument is as well that there is so many sources. People can get alerts on their phones and other online uh, services, which is true. And they come in handy. But why take away the AM uh, outlet as well? And I think one concern, too, is maybe the precedent it sets. Mm -hmm. You know, if AM is taken out, is FM taken out? and so on and you also mentioned that word before free in the future will you have to pay for that added perk in your new vehicle or not uh, are you willing to pay so much per month uh, to do so so i think at the foundation of the conversation we can start there and, and see what kind of precedent and i think it's a negative precedent as we uh, possibly look at the future well, and another point as well that I know uh, you and, and many other folks with NAFB and the uh, National Association of Broadcasters as well have made to Congress and to automakers is the emergency alert system aspect of AM radio. I, I think to, you know, my, my first job starting in Mason City, Iowa and having to go in at, you know, 11 o'clock at night and help with weather coverage and read you know, the severe thunderstorm warnings, tornado warnings, et cetera. I know you guys do a lot of that there at Chasm in, in Albany. And just thinking about that component for public safety is so huge when it comes to AM radio, FM radio, et cetera, Joe. Yeah. Why why limit the, the different ways that folks can get that information? And during a lot of storms, you know what? The power goes out, Jesse. You know that. Um, internet goes out quite frequently. Yep. You got batteries in your radio. You can still get that information. And in the wide world of weather we live in nowadays, I, I don't think we can really undermine uh, the importance of, of having that access. Very, very true. Well, I know a, a lot of folks have been advocating for AM radio. And as I mentioned, the uh, NAFB, the National Association of Farm Broadcasting, is doing just that. And, and you're helping lead that effort as the president. And I know NAFB has launched here just recently, a few weeks back, the Why I Listen campaign. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because I know that's one way for, for folks who are listening in, they can get involved and have their voices heard, Joe. I think a lot of folks, it's kind of that agriculture mindset. They they always want want to know, well, how can I help or what can I do? And it, it's a simple couple of clicks. Go to whyilisten.com and it really just asks simple questions. Where you are, where you live, and why do you listen? And all of that, we hope to uh, 
encourage our legislators to take a look at that information and say, oh yeah, this is a real thing. And when you can put a real name or real people to a real issue, that goes a long way when you can kind of tell your story. So um, there's also, hey, you can win $500 too. That's never a bad day as well, but uh, just a little more incentive to go to the website and, and share why you're listening because that, that's really going to help in, in talking to legislators and in trying to, to make this issue uh, very real for them and uh, their constituents in their own state. And I think on top of that, another step further as well is if you already have a, a personal connection to your local senator or congressman or woman or you feel in you know, implied to reach out to them, I think you can also take that extra step and reach out to some of them folks directly as well, Joe. Yeah, I like to say a little means a lot. Um, I've had legislators um, share a quote from an event a, a year prior, you know, when they're at uh, their state or national legislative sessions and such. That goes a long way, that human impact. It's uh, uh, really, you just can't undermine it at all. Feels like it's kind of wrap up our conversation. We're in a bit of a holding pattern then, waiting to see what some of this legislation does here in regards to keeping AM radio in the dashboard. Does it just feel like for right now we're in a little bit of a holding pattern, Joe? Yeah, I think we're waiting for a few more signatures uh, and then also trying to get a push where uh, it's going to be brought up and and discussed. So right now it's uh, a little bit of a lull right here, but I think uh, that means we just need to reinforce uh, our message and our, our interest and impact on what this may do and, and hopefully see some sort of resolution here uh, uh, before 2023 uh, is over with. Joe, I should ask you before I let you go, uh, changing topics real quick, thinking about how that crop is looking there in central Minnesota. I know things, uh, from what I've heard anyway, have, have looked okay there in your neck of the woods. What are you hearing from your uh, local farmers and, and ranchers? How how are things uh, shaping up so far this growing season, Joe? You know, it, it goes to the old uh, adage of depends where you are type thing. Uh, those rainfalls, it seems like they're such hit and miss. A four or five mile uh, distance can be uh, the difference between a quarter inch to a few drops. Um, some of the heavier low-lying soil, you know what, they're okay. Corn is all right. They're getting some good, uh, they've had, what, two crops of alfalfa already. But if you get to a little higher ground, some sandier soil, I'm not sure if those crops are going to come back. Um, I, I think some of that, uh, that percentage here, especially if we don't get any rain here in July, we've had under, what, under a half inch total in my neck of the woods. It's going to make August pretty tough for a lot of folks here. So uh, there's still a lot of work to do, and it's just going to come down to that rain. Well, hopefully you can catch a drink of water there in central Minnesota. And again, if folks want to have their voice heard about keeping AM radio in the dash, you can go to whyilisten.com. With that, NAFB president, Minnesota Farm Broadcaster Joe Gill there at Chasm Radio in Albany. Appreciate the time as always, my friend, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again soon. You bet. Have a great day. We'll see ya. And again, have your voice heard to keep AM radio on the dashboard online, whyilisten.com. Thanks to Joe Gill for joining us. All right, coming up next, Mike will be back with an update on the situation surrounding agriculture in the Netherlands. We'll be back with more AOA right after this. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. We have some exciting news to share. The National Corn Growers Association, along with AOA, are heading back to Washington, D.C. for the monthly grind. Tune in on Tuesday, July 18th for our special one-year anniversary episode. I'll be broadcasting live from Corn Congress in Washington, D.C., and we'll be reflecting on the year and what's ahead, along with current priorities of NCGA's Market Development Action Team. Make sure to listen to AOA on Tuesday, July 18th. It's a show you don't want to miss. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risfet with this market update. 
The two biggest takeaways from yesterday's WASDE report was that the wheat crop was much bigger than the trade expected and USDA made an anticipated bullish new crop soybean balance sheet bearish. Now, we may still see hard red winter wheat harvested acres adjusted lower again by September, but that matters less to the market right now than the weak export demand. That overshadows everything else, including the anticipated end of the Ukraine grain initiative on Monday. All signs point to not being renewed. As for soybeans, new crop ending stock still fell from 350 million down to 300 million bushels, with USDA holding the line on its 52 bushel yield. Very weak South American new crop basis is doing little to expand acres for Brazil's next crop as well. Corn, on the other hand, is a different story, with yield prospects improving and demand prospects softening. New crop export sales are a fraction of where they should be in early July, and Brazil is overwhelmed with corn supplies as the harvest comes in, pushing basis lower, making it difficult for the U.S. to compete on the world market at a time when feed demand may struggle in the year ahead with fewer cattle and hogs on feed. Now, the feed demand may erode even further when cattlemen start holding back heifers to rebuild the breeding herd this coming year. The funds were active sellers in corn yesterday following the USDA report, selling an estimated 10,500 contracts. They are now estimated to be short about 26,000 contracts. Weekly ethanol production reported by the EIA also came in below expectations and slipped to 1.032 million barrels per day from the previous week's 1.06. Ethanol stocks also rose 1.8% to 22.658 million barrels. The VIX is trading near 13, reflecting some growing confidence on Wall Street. While the dollar has fallen to fresh 14-month lows under 100, and crude oil is trading up over 1% after hitting two-month highs yesterday. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA continues today, and we're going to turn our focus next to the world of ag policy. Not ag policy in the United States, which, of course, we spend a lot of time talking about here on this program. And occasionally, I get emails from people. Hey, Mike, why do you talk so much about such a boring topic like agriculture policy? And the reason is because it can have ramifications. This was recently brought to the fore over in the Netherlands. Last week, the Dutch prime minister stepped down after a collapse of their government. And the, the reason for the collapse last week was due to a, a hardline immigration issue, but it really started with their farm policies last year created some weakness for the ruling party. Joining us now to fill us in on the situation in the Netherlands specific and Europe more broadly is Bill Wertz. He is the senior policy analyst with the Consumer Choice Center, currently talking to us from Amsterdam. Bill, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me back, Mike. Mark Rutte, Danish prime minister, resigned last week. It was shocking. Bill, how did ag policy have an impact on this government collapse in the Netherlands? So the Dutch government decided to cut nitrogen emissions by half until 2030, and they had only a couple of ways to do it. Uh, one of them would have been to just halt all construction, and that was not going to happen. Another one would have been to halt all the airplanes, and that was not going to happen. So they decided that they are going to buy out livestock farmers. So they want to reduce until 2030 uh, by about a third uh, the entire livestock farming uh, industry in the Netherlands um, by buying farmers out. And they've set aside $27 billion uh, 
in order to to buy farmers out. And you know, I, I know many of your listeners will know. Last year, that led to significant protests by farmers because they said, "No, we just want to go about our business." Absolutely. I mean, we saw the the manure being flown on people's homes, highways being blocked. And Bill, did that create any sort of political pushback inside the Netherlands? So, yes. And the interesting thing is that uh, Dutch voters actually responded uh, very positively towards those protests, uh, showing their sympathies towards the cause of the farmers uh, by voting also for a new party, which is the Farmer Citizen Movement, known as BBB. Uh, and they ended up winning the uh, provincial elections, which determines the Senate in the Netherlands. So the largest political party in the Dutch Senate right now is a farmers party. Uh, and they want to have a say now on those nitrogen emissions. Bill, that seems really surprising to me that the largest party in a country like the Netherlands is a farming party. How big is agriculture in the Netherlands? Is it a substantial part of GDP in that country? Well, it's a substantial part of GDP, but it's also just on the symbolic level. If you, know, if you think of Dutch agricultural products, you're thinking of uh, of cheese, uh, of all these of all these products that uh, that people are familiar with. Um, but I think it's also just based on the principle of the thing, uh, the way that farmers have been treated by the government. Uh, you know, they were just essentially presented with the facts, like, oh yeah, you're going to give up your. Um, your, your 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 life's work. Uh, your family might have been in this industry, but actually you're polluting too much, and and now we're gonna we're gonna get rid of you. I think the entire approach backfired on this government, and now BBB said we're not going to support any government in upcoming elections that includes the Prime Minister Mark Rutte, and that's why he retired completely from politics. It just, it just really shows you that if farmers get active, they can have a significant impact on politics. Absolutely. That is stunning. So I hadn't realized that the the reason for his not leading the government any further was their refusal to participate in it with him. That's what happened? Yeah, exactly. They said, no, we will not support a single government that includes him. They made clear demands, even though, I mean, right now we only have polling numbers, but they polled so high for the upcoming election, which you know was initially supposed to be early next year, but now will actually happen even sooner in, in autumn, um, that, you know, basically he said, okay, I have no future in politics uh, unless I have the support of the farmers. So, Bill, he is out. Those uh, initial proposals by the Dutch government, however, are still there. The livestock buyout plan, as I understand, is still at least floating around there at the Dutch government levels. If BBB does perform as well in the election, can they scrap these things or is it more modifying the goals of uh, these livestock removal type programs? So they've been very clear that they're not going to accept any of the proposals that are currently on the table. Now, how exactly they will manage this in, in terms of a coalition? Because, I mean, that's one of the problems, right? I mean, if you're a farmer's party, making coalitions is not just about agricultural policy. Now you have to have positions on all types of other things and what are you willing to make concessions on? So it's really after the next election that we're going to see any movement on this on this policy file. Uh, and up until then, the current caretaker government uh, has promised not to make any new changes. So negotiations really on ice until until uh, until the end of the year. Wow. And this is coming from just one year ago, farmer protests in the streets as these announcements about buyouts were being rolled out. Bill, this leads me to my next question. If we can scope out a little bit more and look at all of Europe, it sure sounds as though there's more pushback growing against some of the conservation, the nature laws that are developing there in the EU. Can you fill us in on, on what's happening on the ground? So yesterday in the European Parliament, there was a vote on the nature restoration law. So this law tries to essentially uh, recover degraded ecosystems, what they call it, by 2050. Uh, and it wants to affect 20% of those systems. So what, it, what, what the farmers' representatives say about this law is that it essentially limits by how far you could potentially expand in, in your farm. And that's why they've opposed it. And it was supposed to be a done deal up until, you know, just a couple of months ago, uh, when the European People's Party is sort of the strongest party in the European Parliament in the EU, uh, which is, you know, more on the center-right spectrum, so suddenly realized, if we don't listen to the farmers on this, the farmers will overtake us uh, in other countries as well, not just in the Netherlands. And so they, they've decided to oppose this law. Um, it passed very narrowly by just 10 votes yesterday, but there will be a second reading uh, and there will be very long negotiations now. And this has really put uh, a lot of these agricultural files, which you know are very niche for a lot of the media outlets and the policy advisors, suddenly on top of the agenda uh, of the political movings within the EU. 
it is fascinating to see farmers being uh, first sought out for interviews on important political topics like this. Bill, given the nature uh, restoration law, that NRL that is under discussion, what's the timeline look like for that in the European Parliament? Is it Would you expect to see it passed in 2024 if things start going, if the wind picks up at its back? So most likely not, because there have to be negotiations between all the different institutions and governments. And we do have elections in the EU uh, early next year. And so usually just you know, a couple of months before that election, not much happens. So this is really a determining factor, what the next election will look like, how many farmers parties and how will participate and how much those farmers will influence the existing parties. And I think agriculture agricultural policy will look very different in the next mandate with the next European Commission. We'll have a lot of policy shifts. Uh, and I think ultimately, that's a good thing. It is a good thing, Bill. Are you hearing new ideas come up with regard to advancing environmental or sustainability goals? Or are we still talking in the same framework of we need to limit emissions by limiting production? So yeah, so it's one part. It's, it's actually interesting. So we have we have laws such as the, the sustainable use of pesticide reduction um, uh, law that regulation tries to you ban you know about half of all the pesticides that can be used in Europe, and it's, it is quite extreme and is also you know opposed by by the farmers and now opposed increasingly in in the European Parliament. However, on the other side, you also have the EU. Uh, now, you know, just legalizing a new genomic techniques, what we call them gene editing techniques, which used to be illegal in the European Union for, for decades. And now suddenly there's a reversal because they see the, the improvements on not just yields, but also the sustainability uh, impacts of it. So you get a bit of both in the EU. It's not really coherent. Um, and, and I think this is because just politically, a lot of the political parties are suddenly waking up to this issue and trying to figure out what exactly they want to do about farming policy. It is going to be fascinating to watch this unfurl over the coming years. Uh, Bill, of course, American agriculture, European agriculture, were very different. We don't always see eye to eye on a number of issues, GM technology, GE technology, one of those issues. But within Europe, as these environmental laws are coming out, are you seeing farmer groups from different countries work together? Is the BBB and the Netherlands working with farmer groups in the France to try to advance sort of comprehensive goals? I think the most fascinating thing was that yesterday when this vote took place in Strasbourg, France, which is where the European Parliament is based, the European the European Farmers Association got farmers together from all over Europe to protest in front of the Parliament. Um, and, and that is something you, you also very rarely see because you suddenly have people protesting together that often don't even speak each other's language, but they come together for this cause of opposing this law. So I, I think for the for, it's very rare for us in Europe to see this kind of like coherence and um, standing together as farmer representatives. Uh, and, and I think, you know, while this might be positive, I think the reason of where it's coming from is because a lot of this legislation has never taken farmers into account. It's sort of ignored the, the issues of farmers and sort of legislated more ideologically than practically. And I think that's why farmer representatives are more active than ever. Than ever. I think you're right, Bill. We hear similar concerns in this country. And I'm wondering, in Europe, are other industry groups joining the farmer side, construction or development, those type of groups? So I don't see that convergence just happening yet. Uh, all industry groups are definitely affected by, you know, this big roadmap of the European Green Deal. But there hasn't been that level of collaboration. But uh, we'll see. I mean, the next next year's election will really define where we're taking this. And if the, the rules are getting even stricter, I think that might actually happen. Lots to watch here in Europe, of course, as they potentially chart a new course going forward. Bill Vertz is who we're talking with now. He's the senior policy analyst at the Consumer Choice Center. Bill, you write about these issues a lot. Where can folks go to keep up on your writings? Or they can follow me on Twitter at WirtzBill, so that's W-I-R-T-Z Bill. Uh, and they can also find all of my writing on ConsumerChoiceCenter.org. Folks, check that out. The things that come from Europe, the things that come from other places in the world definitely can drive home and impact our bottom line here in the United States. Big thanks to our friend Bill Vertz, Senior Policy Analyst at the Consumer Choice Center. Bill, thanks for filling us in on what's happening on the ground in Europe. Thanks for having me. And folks, stick, stay right here. Jesse Allen will be back. We'll have a conversation with Republican North Dakota Senator John Hoven about his livestock disaster assistance bill when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, 
Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve, together we can make a difference. Bite by bite. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. On the first Wednesday of every month, we sit down with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association for a segment we call The Monthly Grind. We like to look into the uses for that corn crop once it leaves your farm. Joining us this week for The Monthly Grind, we're going to be talking with Troy Schneider of Colorado and Denny Vinacotter, corn grower from Ohio. Troy, I understand you've got a road trip coming up in the next couple of weeks. Where are you headed? Not only myself, but about 100 other team members from the seven action teams at National Corn Growers Association will be going to Washington, D.C., July 17th through the 20th for Corn Congress. 17th and 18th, we have action team meetings. And the 19th, we'll be going to the Hill to visit legislators. And then on the 20th, we will have Corn Congress where we conduct business twice a year. Denny, no doubt you'll be talking about the Consider Corn Challenge. Can you fill us in? So we have 20 entries in it, biomaterial products, different technologies that will use corn in a different way than animal feed. Thank you, Denny and Troy. Folks, learn more at ncga.com and tune in July 18th for the next Monthly Grind. The average American eats 250 eggs per year, which translates to a total annual consumption of 76.5 billion eggs in the U.S. About 60% of eggs produced here in the U.S. are used by consumers and about 9% are used by the food service industry. A chef's hat is said to have a pleat for each of the many ways you can cook eggs. The color can range from white to deep brown. Hens with white feathers and earlobes lay white shelled eggs, while hens with red feathers and earlobes lay brown shelled eggs. Because breeds that lay brown eggs are typically slightly larger birds, they require more food, making brown eggs usually more expensive than white. You can tell whether an egg is fresh or stale by dropping it in water. A fresh egg will sink, but a stale one will float. Eggs also contain all the essential protein, minerals, and vitamins, and egg yolks are one of the few foods that naturally contain vitamin D. And eggs are also good for your eyes because they contain lutein, which helps prevent age-related cataracts and muscle degeneration. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. At YMCA Summer Camp, kids find their why. Friendship and fun, a world of adventure beneath a golden sun. Running, laughing, full of wonder. Being themselves is second nature. Summer Camp is where they begin to unlock the confidence that lies within. When kids find new passions, they find their why. Summer Camp season starts soon. 
Learn more at YMCA.org for a better us. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. And welcome back to AOA. Jesse Allen here for Mike Pearson. We'll take you the rest of the way home on today's show. Joining us now to get us caught up on what's happening in Washington, D.C., North Dakota Republican Senator John Hoven is with us. Senator Hoven, it's great to talk with you again. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Thanks, Jesse. Good to talk to you and always good to talk about agriculture since North Dakota is a leader for our country. Definitely, definitely. Well, I want to talk about some things that are going on in the state of North Dakota here in just a minute, but I also want to start off and just get an update on the Farm Bill. We're hearing a lot of talk about the Farm Bill and the ongoing work to get something done here by by the deadline, the end of September. I know a lot of talk about trying to find money and, and make things work with the Farm Bill. Get us up to speed. What is the latest that you're hearing there on Capitol Hill? Well, it'd be nice if we get it done this year, but you know, my concern is that we get the commodity title done right because that's what makes sure that our farmers and ranchers stay in business year in and year out. And every American benefits from our great system of agriculture. We have the uh, highest quality, lowest cost food supply in the world, thanks to our farmers and ranchers, more than 16 million people on a direct and indirect basis, uh, largely family-based enterprises that produce that food, fiber, and fuel for our folks. And uh, we need to make sure that that farm bill provides them with support. So in terms of, you know, the commodity title and those programs like crop insurance and uh, countercyclical safety net, you know, that's going to have to be there. The funding's going to have to be there to make sure that those are updated and that they work well for our farmers and ranchers. And I'm going to hold fast on that. And so hopefully we'll get that in place and can move ahead this year. But if, if not, it, the farm bill could get punted into next year. And I was going to ask you, if we do run up against the clock, uh, a one-year extension, would that seem to make the most sense for the farm bill here, Senator Hoven? Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. Um, I would rather extend it for a year and get the farm bill we need than, uh, you know, try to cobble something together that I don't think is strong enough this year. So that's kind of where I'm at in the whole process. We are working towards the things identified, but those priorities have to be there or, yeah, I think it could be a one-year extension. I know as well there's been some talk about the SNAP side of the farm bill and there's been some of the recent reporting on the SNAP error rates being very high. Is that a sticking point for you or is that a sticking point for some of your Senate colleagues as you guys work to craft a farm bill right now? Well, look, in terms of the nutrition or SNAP, as you're talking about, you know, for folks that truly need help, we want to make sure that help is there. But at the same time, you got to have the right incentives. In other words, there should be an incentive there to work and to get to self-sufficiency. And and that also reflects on the total cost of the farm bill. So again, it's about getting, you know, the right priorities in place for SNAP, just like we're talking about for the uh, farm and ranch programs. And, uh, you know, we're working on that, but, uh, you know, I'm not sure we've we've got agreement yet, Mm -hmm. uh, but, but that's a big issue too. All right. Fantastic. Let's segue. I want to talk about the bill that you and Senator John Tester from Montana introduced uh, late in June, looking at uh, livestock disaster programs and strengthening those. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. One of the things that we need to do to reduce the need for ad hoc disaster assistance is make sure that crop insurance, countercyclical safety net, and some of our ranch programs are strengthened so that, you know, that in years where you have Uh, bad weather, bad markets, crop failures, those kind of things that our farmers are squared away. But the same thing with our ranchers, you need to make sure that there's some help for them when they hit drought or, you know, other challenges due to cattle loss, due to storms, you name it. So what uh, Senator Tester and I are doing is we put forward language that would strengthen things like the ELAP, which is Emergency Livestock Assistance Program, or LIP, the Livestock Indemnity Program, livestock forage program lfp to make sure that those programs are stronger and better which reduces the need for ad ad hoc disaster assistance but uh, not only uh, keeps our our cattlemen in business you know when they hit uh, a problem uh, with drought or storms or something like that or cattle mortality but also helps bring younger 
ranchers, you know, we, we've got to get the younger generation into ranching as well. So it's very important that that is part of the farm bill. Again, we, we design these programs so they work, that they're there when they're needed and then not when they're not needed. That makes sure you get the help to the farmer and the rancher uh, when they need it, but it's also the most cost-effective way for the taxpayer as well. So we're updating and upgrading those programs in a way that I think will, will be uh, important for our cattlemen. Well, Senator Hovind, I want to segue to your home state of North Dakota. I know an announcement uh, late in June of more than $50 million in ag research funding for North Dakota in the Senate's uh, fiscal year 24 ag appropriations bill. I want you to talk about that and also how that ties in with a recent visit you made to NDSU with former House Ag Committee Chairman Colin Peterson of Minnesota. Can you talk about that a little bit? Right. So nobody does a better job in the world of, uh, of agriculture as far as a university system, the North Dakota State University. They, I mean, between ag research and ag extension at NDSU, they are fantastic. I mean, absolutely top, first rate. And so um, this ag research, as you know, has done incredible things in terms of productivity uh, for our farmers and ranchers. We produce, you know, we're one of the, I think we lead in 14 different crops uh, production in, in North Dakota. Uh, the diversity, the quality, the disease resistance, all these things uh, that have resulted uh, from research are making an incredible difference on the farm and on the ranch. And of course, like I say, that benefits every single American every day because they have the highest quality, lowest cost food supply in the world. And Americans spend less of their budget on food than almost any other country. So uh, that research is just critical and nobody does it better than NDSU. So we uh, have worked hard. We continue to increase the amount of research funding that uh, goes to NDSU at, at more than 50 million this year, that would be up probably at least 10 million or more from uh, what it was last year. Uh, NDSU leads a lot of that research for the country. So it's not just about North Dakota, it's about for the, for the nation. And then the other thing is uh, we're working on an ag policy research center at NDSU, which would really help develop a lot of the data that's used in things like the farm bill and is vitally important so that we get, you know, again, the right priorities when we're working on legislation uh, that, that affects our, our farmers and ranchers. Senator John Hoven, we're out of time. Always great to talk with you, sir. Thanks for joining us today on AOA. Yeah, thank you, Jesse. Take care. That's all the time we have for AOA here today. For Mike Pearson, I'm Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks for joining us. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Why do you listen? Anytime I'm talking to a friend about new music and I don't know what it is, it's probably because they were listening to the radio and I was. I'm nosy. I like to know what's going on, and radio usually is right there telling me what and when is going on and where it's going on. Well, listen in the barn, skid loader, tractor, and just about anywhere you can. When you put the lights on on the barn, the radio went on. Why do you listen? Go to whyilisten.com, tell us why you listen, and you have a chance to win $500. Visit whyilisten.com today. Get on board. The water is open. It's time to go boating and fishing and leave stress in our wake. Feel the wind as we ride and a fish on the line. Reel in our first catch and feel the sun at our backs. It's get out on the water season. It's time to get on board. Find out where to get on board near you. Visit Take Me Fishing and Discover Boating to learn more. And please recreate responsibly. Get on board. board. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice U.S. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org.